everybody, and welcome to another episode of The Break. I'm your host, Father Roderick. I'm a priest, and I'm a geek, and I love to talk about Doctor Who. We're going to talk about Christmas series on Netflix. Uh, I want to talk about pasta, and I'll review the book Morningstar in the Red Rising Saga. All that and much more coming up in this episode of The Break. And this is going to be a bit of an old-fashioned episode of The Break. I didn't have much energy to prepare the show. So I figured, um, since I'm still struggling with this lingering bronchitis and I want to take it easy this week, why don't we just do an old-fashioned show with old-fashioned jingles like this one? How do you not like movies? They're predictable. Like, the guy gets the girl and that kid sees dead people and Darth Vader is Luke's father. Not liking movies is like not liking puppies. They're fine. I just get bored and never make it to the end. You know, you need a movie education. You need a movication. I'm going to give it to you. This week, we saw the third episode of the 60th anniversary Doctor Who specials. And this was a very brief story arc, and this is the first time in history that Almost everyone in the world had access to these episodes the moment they aired. Normally, of course, Doctor Who is a British show. It's produced by the BBC, and it's very hard if you don't live in the UK to actually see those episodes. So they had contracts with with uh, uh, Netflix, I think, and then afterwards with uh, Amazon Prime. Um, and that was pretty recent that we were able to see these newer episodes of Doctor Who but, as you know, they now have a contract with Disney, and these new Doctor Who episodes for the 60th anniversary specials were the first ones that were basically available everywhere in the world where Disney Plus is doing business. And I've really been enjoying these three episodes, um, also because it featured the return of David Tennant as this time the 14th Doctor, and this third episode would feature the transition to the 50th the 15th Doctor. Um, and I was really... At one point I was like, this is too quickly. I want to hang out a little bit more with David Tennant. I don't want his Doctor to be just featured in these three episodes. I want him to stick around a little bit longer. But I was also very curious about this, this new Doctor. And there is always this regeneration taking place. And uh, this time, in this episode, they made it very special and very memorable. Just to refresh your memory. This is going to stay spoiler-free, by the way. But just to refresh your memory, let me play the trailer for um, the, the episode called The Toy Maker. Sometimes I think there's something missing. Like I had something lovely. And it's gone. I lie in bed thinking. What have I lost? No other's friend. Called Donna Noble. I had to wipe her memory to save her life. No! If she remembers me, she will die. So what happens next? The spaceship crashes right in front of her. It's like she's drawing us in. What the hell? We've got a bloody Martian in the shed! I don't know. Meet me. Come oh, on. Here we go again. I don't believe in destiny, but if destiny exists, then it is heading for Donna Noble. And I've got a memory. After a very long time, something's coming back. Who are they? Monsters. 
for a lot of action. What do we do this time, Doctor? How do we fight the human race? Something entered this world. Oh, but he is recognizing me. Who is he? The one who waits. Open fire! Why does it have to be this? Your fight is with me! I don't know if I can save your life this time. Worldwide premiere. This is such a great trailer, and of course, this uh, this particular trailer featured not just images from the third episode, but also the whole lead up with. Donna Noble being back, brought back into the story, and then just all the all the excitement of new aliens invading, threatening the Earth, and the Doctor, of course, having to try to save us once again. And uh, in the in the final part of this trailer, you see this very mysterious figure that is called the Toy Maker, and that harkens back to one of the earliest episodes of Doctor Who, which was shot in black and white. I think that uh, only the last episode featuring the Toy Maker still exists. The other two have been erased and are no longer available anywhere. Um, they brought back that character in a new version, and kind of a, like an upgraded version. Um, the, the, the initial Toy Maker was very... Um, inappropriate, to say the least. It, it, it was a white guy dressed up in Chinese clothes and it, uh, it lots of cultural appropriation and other stuff that wouldn't, wouldn't really fare well with our uh, kind of modern audiences. But they did keep um, that reference to the slightly racist character uh, because in, in this version of the toy maker, he uses all these fake accents. And at first, it's this very exaggerated German accent. And then after a while, he changes uh, to a French accent and then to a very American accent. And it's just switching all over the place. It's a lot of fun. Great acting. And... Um, the episode itself was not called the toy maker because they actually wanted to this not to um, so confusion among people that know i think there is isn't there a marvel character that's also called the toy maker or something like that or the puppet puppet master I think it was like the puppet master anyway so they called this episode the giggle and you actually heard that giggle in this trailer it was like ha 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 and uh, the, 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 there's a very creepy backstory i love the way this episode played out it had so much action and there were actually one of the one of the things that that after seeing it, immediately after seeing it, um, we were talking about it on, on our Discord server with the other patrons, and um, uh, I said the one thing that, that struck me and was kind of a little bit irking me was that there, there seemed to be like two or three story threads. It's just not one theme, but several themes, and I it felt like this one episode was a bit overburdened, but now... After a few days, I'm looking back at this episode and I'm thinking, no, actually, I do like it that there's so much crammed into this one episode because 
you, I was on the edge of my seat for the entire duration of the show. And I loved especially the last part where we see this transition from the 14th Doctor to the 15th Doctor. And I thought it was amazing. Um, this also sets things up for the Christmas special because, thank goodness, we do get another Doctor Who episode before the end of the year. And I just want to briefly... Uh, play the, the the Christmas trailer for this particular episode. Um, this is a very old tradition in Doctor Who um, a television production that that almost almost every year uh, at Christmas there is a special, almost like a standalone episode of Doctor Who, which is very much focused on Christmas and Christmassy themes, and it's snowing, and you've got all the cliches, and at the same time, there's always, it's, it's very classic Doctor Who. And so they do the same with uh, this new season of Doctor Who. It starts off, actually, with the new Doctor in this Christmas uh, episode, just like way back when, this is years ago, um, David Tennant's Doctor actually first... Um, was introduced to the general public in a Christmas episode. And just recently I was, I was looking around on the internet uh, and on YouTube um, for behind-the-scenes stuff. And let me recommend very quickly here that you follow the, the official Doctor Who channel on YouTube because they do such a fantastic job with so much extra footage and it's it's amazing i love all these extras and behind the scenes and you've got the commentary of the writers you've got the actors in all those uh, extra videos it's a lot of amazing content which normally you would only see on a blu-ray disc or something like that i don't think it's even featured on the disney plus channel you really have to go to youtube for that um and then some of the recommended videos were much older and, and one was particularly interesting it was a almost like a 45-minute video, which featured um, a video diary made by David Tennant during the first week or so, or two weeks, while he was shooting the Christmas episode, or his Christmas episode. And it was it's filmed, they gave him um, a DV camera, so really, um, at the time, that was... That was um, um, let's say, expensive technology, like it was a small camera. Uh, nowadays, oh, the quality is so terrible and it's it's really bad in, la- in, in low light. But the, the advantage is, and this was before you could film with your, with your cell phone, um, he, he made a, a daily diary where oftentimes he's just filming himself after a day of shooting and he's, he's at home. And he's like, oh, well, uh, this happened and that happened. And it's incredibly kind of raw and and authentic. And it's um, so fascinating to see the personal memories of an actor who's now so iconically tied to the Doctor Who franchise. But at the time, this was brand new for him. He had no idea what was in store for him. And it's it's a lot of fun to see. And he even films um, the moment that he watches the episode at Christmas time with his parents and maybe siblings or at least some other people are in the room. And it's just, they're watching this on an old-fashioned TV. Now we call that old-fashioned, but it's like one of those early 16 by 9 televisions which weighed a ton. I think the diameter of the screen was like 16 inches. So it's a tiny little TV and he's sitting there watching it. And 
I always kind of imagine the actors are watching this in a in a theater, you know, with a fantastic audio system, and they they watch it in the best quality available. No, instead he's watching the premiere of his first Doctor Who episode on a tiny little TV in a room, and probably the audio is mono, and he. He never got to see it the way that we can experience it now that we're watching this on Blu-ray or on, uh, you know, on big screen TVs. It was incredible how much technology has evolved. But anyway, go check that out. Also, another tip before I play the audio of the Christmas trailer is uh, check out the official Doctor Who podcast because, yes, there is an official podcast. And uh, oftentimes, these television movie podcasts are just promotional um, episodes, not very interesting but not with Doctor Who. It's so well produced. It's it's a, a group of Doctor Who fans, one of which I was already following on TikTok. And all of a sudden he's like, I know this voice. Oh, it's the guy from TikTok. And he's normally doing a, a, a similar things that, that I like to do on, on TikTok and, and YouTube, commenting about deeper layers in, in movies and TV shows. He's been invited to host the Doctor Who podcast and it, it's a great discussion, and it's usually there right after the episode airs, so you've got this immediate feedback, or you, you have like a, a show you can go to right after seeing the episode, because they get to see the episodes a little bit earlier, and then they can pre-record this, uh, this show. So anyway, with, without further ado, let's play the Christmas trailer for the episode called The Church on Ruby Road. Merry Christmas. I'm the doctor. What's up there? Goblins. Oh, yeah? Time travelers are great. Like, wow. Ah! Hold on tight. Who are you? <laughs> the doctor, obviously. Doctor Who has never looked so click good. Below oh. to subscribe to the official Doctor Who YouTube channel. Okay, so that was a little plug at the end where you have to uh, to subscribe to the channel, which you probably already have done. But anyway, so um, the, the Doctor Who now really looks like a Marvel production. It's the special effects are amazing. This particular episode features a lot of goblins, and they look fantastic. I think it's all practical. Maybe enhanced with a few digital goblins, but it, this this could have been, you know, straight out of Weta Studios or something like, well, I don't know, um, yeah, Marvel or even Star Wars. It is that good, and I'm I'm so excited that we get to see Doctor Who at this level of quality. It is really really cool. Anyway, so enough about Doctor Who. I'm really looking forward to the Christmas episode. And then I don't know how long we have to wait to see uh, the rest of the season, actually. Um, but I kind of hope that we have a little bit more time for to... I need to catch up on so many other shows that I've missed. Um, so I don't mind if we have to wait a little before we see the official uh, next Doctor Who season. The new Doctor makes an Im incredible impression. I, I think he, he's amazing. So um, anyway, uh, another thing that I always do around this time of the year is to watch a, a, um, Christmas movies. And well, if I say Christmas movie, you of course know that I'm talking about Die Hard. Um, this, this is like going to Midnight Mass on, on Christmas Eve. Um, Die Hard is part of uh, any decent geeky Christmas tradition. So 
definitely that. And then, of course, you've got Home Alone. I really hoped to build the Home Alone Lego house this year, but unfortunately, it's still so expensive. And I, I got so many other Lego sets. I'm going to be talking a bit more about my Lego project this year because I'm building a, a Lego town, um, but I'll, I'll do that in the, a part of the show for, for my patrons. So uh, if you go to patreon.com slash fatherroderick, you sign up for any level, any tier of my patron uh, community, then you'll, you'll be able to download premium episodes of, uh, of this show. So anyway, I'll talk a bit more about Lego. But um, I, I always watch Home Alone. I actually did not see that movie when it first came out because I think I was in seminary. And so for about five years when I was studying in Belgium, I did not watch any TV I saw a few movies, thankfully, so I saw Back to the Future 2 in a movie theater, but that was about it. We didn't have a TV in the seminary, so I I missed out on a lot of stuff that I'm now catching up, and so uh, now that Home Alone is available on, I think it's on Disney as well, uh, I've been watching it multiple times, and it's so much fun. It's really, really great fun, and uh, there are some other Christmas movies that get recommended to me uh, time and again. Um, some of which I actually like and others I never really gotten into. Like It's a Wonderful Life or Wonderful World. I think it's a Wonderful Life, right? Everybody tells me oh, it's the quintessential Christmas movie. And I every year I try to watch it. And every year after about 15 minutes, I'm thinking like, I'll watch it some other time. I just, I don't, I can't get into it. I don't know why. It's just not a very cheerful, maybe I'm just too much of a superficial romantic Christmas lover i just want to feel christmasy and it's a it's a it's actually a a, a difficult theme the the uh, it's a wonderful life but anyway your mileage may vary and i know that i've now enraged part of my audience it's like how can you say this is the best christmas movie ever and you have to watch it every year we have this discussion i'll i'll do my best i'll try it once again but yeah it's still not it's still not really on my on my on my list of of, of go to Christmas traditions. I am watching some other stuff. Um, oftentimes, I I mine TikTok for ideas on what to watch, what to read, and so I saw a, um, a TikTok video from someone who recommended a eight episode television show on Netflix. Um, it's kind of a bit of a teen romance type of thing, but uh, the, the the reviewer said it was fun and. Um, and so I started watching that. It's called Dash and Lily. So it's on Netflix. It tells the story of um, a girl who loves Christmas and a boy who hates Christmas. And they actually don't get to meet in the first few episodes. Instead, they are communicating through a book or a diary. And so she writes a diary entry with some riddles. She places it in a bookstore where anyone can find it. And so... The person she writes to, she doesn't know who's going to pick up the book, but there are clues in there. So you have to know, you have to be a book lover to know what she's talking about. And so you get this whole uh, like treasure hunt. And it all is filmed in New York, which is amazing. And I love it because Manhattan is such an amazing city uh, and especially around Christmas time. And uh, so 
it, it for me the one of the major reasons to watch this series is not really the story because that's yeah it's okay it's it's fun it's uh, a little bit too much geared towards a younger audience um, so uh, yeah it's not really my thing but it is beautifully done the photography is amazing and and it's it's just very Christmassy and it does remind me a lot of the Hawkeye uh, Marvel series which I also absolutely loved um so with uh what's his name renner the actor who got into that accident um after he was done shooting the the show thankfully he's recovering quite quite well but anyway hawkeye was not really one of my favorite marvel heroes i think for everyone he was a little bit like yeah he's part of the avengers but he's not the hulk he's not uh loki he's not thor he's not um uh Black Widow. So, but he got his own television series, which is also filmed in Manhattan around Christmas time. I absolutely love it. So, um, maybe I'll, I'll I'll rewatch that one, just because I so much enjoyed that series last year. What was it? No, two years ago already. That was in the middle of COVID that that was aired. Crazy. Anyway, um, so uh, yeah, what else am I going to talk about? Well, let's move over to Italy here. I actually am going to Italy in a few days from now. I'm recording this on Wednesday, and this Saturday I'm heading for Rome. I had a little bit of spare time with no uh, appointments in my calendar, and I realized, well, wait a minute, I can actually go for a trip to one of my favorite places on the world. And so uh, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to spend uh, the entire week leading up to Christmas in Rome. And Rome is beautiful around Christmas time. You may have seen the videos of my friend Mountain uh, Butorek on, on, on Instagram. And he also, I think he also post, cross-posts them on, on Facebook. But Mountain is a... <clears throat> uh, uh, someone who organizes pilgrimages in Rome. He lives in Rome with his family, and uh, and and he films almost daily uh, footage of of what's happening around the Vatican. And he, so he made a video of the unveiling of the, the, the this year's nativity scene uh, in the center. It's around. It's built around the obelisk in the center of of St. Peter's Square, and um, and also the the moment that they lit up the 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 Christmas tree, uh, and that, and that was a very un. Un, un-European moment because the the for for a couple of years now it, it, when I was in studying in Rome the Christmas tree was just that it was just a big tree with lights in it and but it you know it's just that nowadays they have these the computerized LED lights and it's this whole like fireworks show it's it's insane it feels like something straight out of Disneyland and so they had this moment where they light up the tree and it's got all this this movement with the lights and I'm, I'm thinking. It, it just feels so American. So I don't know. I mean, but people love it. And I have to say, Italians do like their Christmas lights. If you walk around in Trastevere, for instance, it's like every restaurant, every bar is, is decorated with tons and tons of tiny LED lights. It's one of the things I'm looking forward to is just to, to be in Rome and, and to, to just experience that Christmas atmosphere i i live in a village here in the netherlands which is predominantly protestant um there is a catholic church obviously because i live in the former rectory of that church but most of the population used to be 
um, kind of more of the, the, the strict observant Protestant type. So this village is just not feeling very Christmassy. There are some lights now, and they did have a Dickens fair the other day, which was fun. Um, but around Christmas time, I always like, yeah, I don't know. I, I'm I'm more used to more Catholic environment around Christmas time, so I'm I'm super happy that I'll be spending uh, up until the 23rd actually. So right the day before Christmas Eve, I'll be in Rome, and and uh, Rome is is all about Christmas right now. So every church already has nativity scenes, and and obviously if you follow me on social media or if you're a patron, um, you may want to. Keep an eye on my my travel logs because I'll be probably posting a lot of uh, of images. So anyway, so that's going to be a lot of fun this next week. One thing that I want to try out is um, uh, Apple just updated the uh, iOS of, on on the phones with iOS. I think it was seventeen point two, which now has enabled three D filming. Now this is only available on the. Uh, iPhone 15 Max and Max Pro, and I've got the Max Pro, and so it uses the two cameras. So you've got three cameras on the on the Pro uh, models, and uh, one is the like the regular camera, the other one is the wide angle camera, and they are actually on the same level. And so what Apple did is to create um, a, an app that can use both these cameras at the same time to film a three dimensional image and that is in preparation of the of the vision pro the 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 first ar vr goggle goggles that will be introduced next next year and what i love is that they've already made it possible for people to record in 3d even though it will take probably couple, a couple of years before um the vision the apple vision pro becomes remotely something you know that 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 remotely gets close to uh, what Meta is doing with the Oculus Quest. However, if it's recorded, it can be decoded. There are already apps that can uh, transform this into formats that will work on, for instance, on 3D televisions, maybe even on the on the Meta uh, on the Meta Quest. So what I want to do is, since I will be in Rome and since it's going to be very beautiful there, I am going to record in 3D. I'm going to do a lot of footage in 3D, and um, just in case. So, because I love 3D, and at one point, I'm pretty sure that we'll have an, an Apple Vision, whatever. I don't know if it's going to be the Pro, because I, I want, the price needs to go down at least, I don't know, 80% before I'm, I'm, I'm interested. But at one point, this being Apple, I'm sure that they have a they already have an idea of, of, of when this will become a mainstream device. And, well, content is king. So, if I start to film in 3D now, I'll be able to, uh, to, to take advantage of that, uh, you know, having a little bit of a, a advance, how you say that, production um, b- workflow for, for this material. So that's, that's going to be one of the things that, I, uh, that I'll, I'll be doing. Anyway, why do I talk about this? Um, I'm also going to be in, in Rome for the food. And I love going to these small restaurants and try out new ones and discover new recipes. And I know that Italian food, especially food that you get in, for instance, in Trastevere, it's all, um, it's, it's usually 
only has a few ingredients, and but the quality of the ingredients is what is important. And and oftentimes, when I discover a new dish, I'm going to hunt for the recipe. And so you may remember if you're an old an older listener, well, someone who's been listening for for a long time doesn't mean you're old. Um, but uh, you may remember that I, uh, me talking about Pasta Califa, and there's only one restaurant in Rome where you can order that, and it's uh, La Vittoria, it's uh, on the left of the Vatican. Um, and I, I remember ordering that once just because I had already tried all their other pasta, and I was like, Califa, that sounds exotic, let me try that. And it was so good, and for years I've been trying to reproduce that recipe and I knew it had to be simple but I just couldn't figure it out and I finally discovered the recipe and then I lost it again this this past summer I wanted to uh, make pasta califa for uh, the other three priests and I I couldn't remember the recipe and I also could not remember where I stored it so usually OneNote is where I leave all my recipes but I couldn't find it there um, I didn't have my computer with me so I couldn't do a search and anyway I finally found that recipe again and tonight actually after I'm done recording this show I'm going to make that pasta califa just to whet my appetite for the time that I'll be in Rome now speaking of pasta did you know actually what to look for when you buy pasta you think, well, pasta is pasta, you know, spaghetti and tagliatelle, etc. But there is actually something that distinguishes, and it's a visible thing that helps you distinguish good quality pasta from, let's say, more run-of-the-mill, cheap pasta. And I found a video on TikTok that explains it really well. Um, it's Francesco Matana, and he's got a TikTok channel called Our, Our Cooking Journey. Let me, I'll, I'll let him explain what to look for. So many of you ask me, Francesco, what is a good quality pasta brand? I can't really give you a particular type of brand, but I can help you choose the best quality pasta that you can find in any supermarket. Here I have two okay, type of pennette, and they both use the same exact ingredient. Durum with semolina and water. A good pasta must have a light yellow color, this almost ivory. This means the pasta has been dry slowly at low temperature, and all of the nutrients, they haven't been burned. When you so Again, what he's saying is you have to look at the color of the pasta. Now, I always thought that the more yellow the pasta was, the, the better it tasted. Actually, he says it's the opposite. You have to look for almost like an ivory color. It has to be almost a bit white. And that has to do with the drying process. So the cheaper the pasta, the faster it is dried because money, right? And so the longer pasta has the time to, to dry, the tastier it gets, it's probably just chemistry. And it also creates a different texture on the surface of the pasta, which, as you may know, is super important for the combination with the sauce. You want the pasta not to be completely, um, like, plasticky. No, it, like, the, the, the rougher the surface of the pasta, the, the better the, the sauce will cling to the pasta, will coat the pasta. When you find yourself in front of this, a shelf of bright yellow color pasta, well, that's not a good sign. This means the pasta has been put through a violent drying process, which means a very high temperature for a very short amount of time. The surface of the pasta should be rough and opaque, which is created by the extrusion technique. So if you want to level up your pasta dishes, then look for trafilatura al bronzo, or bronze drone extruded. This will... Trafilatura... 
I need to look that up. Bronza? <laughs> Help you to create a nice creamy sauce. The last and not least is the cooking process. When a pasta is made with very good quality durum wheats and molina, it will hold the shape and it will not go mushy. I hope that now you have a little bit more knowledge to choose the best pasta you can find. I had no idea, but I really need to look for that. And I actually do have a, one of those brands, um, but I don't have the, the tagliatelli. I know that my local supermarket here next door actually sells that higher quality pasta as well. Um, and for the pasta califa recipe, you actually need the, the, the curly pasta. So I'll, I'll, I'll take a look uh, when I'm done podcasting to see if I can, uh, can get that. Because, of course, you know, it's, yeah, it's a bit more expensive. But then I'm thinking of what would I pay in Rome for a dish like that? It would be like five times the amount of money. So why do I always um, go for the lowest quality ingredients just, because, just to save a buck or something? Uh, like, no, if, if, if I make, if I cook Italian pasta, I need to go for quality ingredients because that is what makes Italian food so good. It's not the amount of ingredients. It's not because it's a very complicated way of cooking. No, it's the quality of the individual um, uh, ingredients. And you don't need many ingredients as long as they're good quality to make a good dish. When did you become an expert in thermonuclear astrophysics? Last night. The packet. The extraction theory papers. Am I the only one who did the reading? All right, let's talk about a reading. And I'm finally done. This last book took me so long. Uh, I'm finally done reading the third book of the trilogy of the Red Rising saga by Piers Brown. Now, Piers Brown has been writing these books since, I don't know. Well, they've been out there for about 10, 15 years. So I'm very behind. I'd never really um, knew about these books until recently. And so I've been reading the first three books. And this is a fantastic story. I've, I've, I've mentioned it several times before here on the show. Um, but it may also be that that sometimes I, I, I talked about the books in the, in the premium version for the patrons. So not everyone who's listening to this particular public show. Um, has heard me talk about that. So Red Rising, very briefly, what is it about? It's a future story. Um, people live on Mars, and uh, 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 the, the, the hero of the story, Darrow, lives underground. He works in the mines because they think that the surface of Mars has not been colonized yet, has not been terraformed. The fact is, they are kept in the dark, literally, by an upper-class, elite part of the society that lives above ground. And Mars, you know, is, is perfectly fine. You can breathe. The, the, the only thing that makes it different from Earth is that the gravity is, is lower. And the moment uh, Darrow discovers that, he goes on a quest to, to free his people. So it's a bit of a Moses story also. So he, he uh, mingles with the these these genetically modified super you know uber mentioned that live on the surface of the planet, and he plays their war games to get the upper hand. And at one point, uh, he becomes so powerful that he may or may not be able to do what he intended to do, and that is to become the the liberator of his people, of the other Reds that live underground. And um, the second book was uh, definitely a step up from the first book. It was uh, very high-octane action. The, the Pierce Brown is a very good action writer. So uh, it, it's this is a pretty violent story. It's, uh, there are a lot of wars, there's a lot of fighting, but at the same time, there are lots and lots of moments where the characters have to make moral choices. And it's always about um, this this 
delicate balance between having to act and sometimes use violence for the greater good, for the for the liberation of people, but at the same time to not lose track of your own values and of the value of human life, etc., etc. So there are always these difficult situations where, uh, okay, do we kill or do we spare someone? And if we are too violent, maybe maybe we become like the enemy that we're actually fighting. So there's a lot of that going on in the books, which which make them, uh, I think, more interesting than just a story about wars in the future. And uh, and then the third book, um, which is called Morning Star, is the uh, 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 the like the conclusion of this of this liberation war. And uh, one of the things that uh, really kept me reading is that the, the, the books are so full of twists. Every time you think that something is done and then something happens and it, oh my gosh, I didn't think of that. And then uh, there's a new conflict, there's a new crisis that has to be solved. And there are lots and lots of these twists and turns um, that are very well placed. This, the book never gets boring. Some other books, like the Mistborn series that I've read uh, also this year, um, similar books in, in tone and also in length. These are pretty long books to read. Um, but in the Mistborn saga, I really love the story. I love the world building, but there are also lots and lots of chapters where it feels like the story is just losing its speed and it's like its momentum. It all usually you know, speeds up towards the end of the book. So there's always a satisfying conclusion, but there are also parts of the book where I couldn't wait for Brandon Sanderson to just just move along, you know? It's, it's just so... And the same thing with The Wheel of Time. Wheel of Time has some fantastic moments, but they're also just... There's so much... So many pages where it just, just prods along and it's not very interesting. Well, this is why I like Red... Rising, the Red Rising saga. It's nonstop action. There's not a single dull moment in any of these three books, which is very rare. Um, and it's also a very satisfying conclusion to this first trilogy. Now, I, I, I understand that there are three more books. So the story actually, even though it does wrap up, it's like a season finale, the third book. And, but the story continues. So, but I need a break. After, I think every book is like five, 600 pages. And these books did slow me down. Uh, you may know that I have this uh, uh, Goodreads reading challenge where I, I challenged myself to read 150 books this year. And uh, for most of the year, I've been doing really well. But because this, these, two, these three books were so vast, so, so big, it slowed me down tremendously. Now I'm eight books behind. It basically comes down to the situation where I have 17 more days in until the end of the year, and I've got 17 books to read. So it means I have to read one book per day. I'm not going to read 600-page books anymore this year. <laughs> but I did enjoy... I, I, I am glad that I gave myself the opportunity to read bigger books because um, every once in a while, I just want to plunge into a world. And it, it's, it's not really about the amount of books, of course. It's about the quality of the experience. Now, I did set myself that goal because I want to give myself uh, uh, like an impetus to to keep reading. And I'm, I'm glad I did because I, I 
I read so many different books, not all fiction, also a lot of more scientific books. And um, I, I learned a lot about biblical scholarship and kind of caught up uh, what I missed out on after I became a priest and just didn't have time to study anymore. So I, I don't regret having set myself that goal but I also am glad that, that I was able to read a, a couple of really big books that, yeah, did slow me down, but it was worth it. So for next year, I'm thinking of maybe going back to 100 books per year um, so that I give myself more time for bigger books. I do want to read more of the Wheel of Time uh, saga. And also, I really want to read these next three books in the Red Rising saga. And with that, we've come to the end of my public show. Uh, doesn't mean that's entirely the end, because my patrons know that in the premium version of the show, we're going to talk about other stuff. Um, I'll, I'll be talking a bit more about my upcoming trip to Rome and my plans there. I also want to share some tips about um, how to clean your inbox in 10 minutes. Like, it sounds magical, but it is actually possible. So even if you have hundreds of emails in your inbox, it's possible to get rid of all of them and to only keep what is important in within 10 to 30 minutes. Anyway, so loved that tip. I'm definitely going to try that out. Um, and also, I'll uh, talk a bit more, as I mentioned before, uh, about my Christmas town and... I actually created a Snowden TARDIS, and it looks amazing, and I, I came up with this little Doctor Who Christmas story, so I'll share more of that, but in case you're not a patron, or you're not able to, uh, to join the Patreon community right now, um, you can also take a look at my YouTube channel about Lego, which is youtube.com slash brickpriest. I think it's Brick Priest. Um, and, and so I'll, I'll um, post a video about the Doctor Who, the Snowden Tardism, and, and the Christmas Doctor Who story. All that and more coming up for my patrons. And we'll talk next week. And I'll probably be podcasting from Rome.